You've found Hungry for Apples podcast, a listening space for the energy aware human with your host, Farron. Visit Farron's website at faern.me. You can also find us on social media, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. Mystic Farron, so it's mystic underscore Farron, and Hungry for Apples podcast. Thanks for listening. Grab an apple and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Thank you for choosing Hungry for Apples podcast with your host, Farron. Today, I would like to just kind of have a little bit of an open talk with you about the idea of wellness. There's this big question that comes up a lot for me, and it's something that I'm seeing, actually. It's not something I've questioned for myself all of that much, because I think I came through the other side before this became a large part of the narrative around me in the yoga, healing, and so on, spiritual consciousness community, right? So the question is, is wellness a myth, right? Is wellness a myth? So first you would want to think about, well, what is wellness anyway? Do you have a description for it for yourself? Or is it, you know, something you see over some vitamins and stuff in the Whole Foods or in your health food store or your co-op, whatever it is you go to? Is it a concept that you think about health and well-being, wellness, that kind of thing? Or is it some outside occurrence? Something I've noticed over the years is that there are all kinds of wellness myths. Things that shift and change from year to year. But what is this based on exactly? So first of all, I immediately said a wellness myth. Well, what? think about that. What has come up in your life that has been somewhat debunked? It might be eggs, it might be fats, it might be carbohydrates. You know, just think about the big things that you're told, no, you can't eat that. Oh, you got to eat more of this, all of that business, whether it's the food pyramid or whatever, some such nonsense somebody made up. Where did those things come from? Originally, right from the cereal companies or something? You know, there's different reasons that different things have shown up over the years. But what is actually shifting all of these aspects. What makes the change? Culture. Culture is driving the myth, right? Sure, it's being shoved down some people's throats depending on what circles you're in and all of that, but culture is ultimately making the choices. And I mean, you know, the overall culture. It's not the other way around. And what I mean by that is like, what would be the other way around? Well, if culture is making the choices and then that's making the myth grow, I mean, just think about what myths you've, you know, come into account, uh, you've encountered in your life 
you know, even just from a child, you know, the whole Santa thing, whatever it is, just think about what myths you've had in your life and whether or not they apply to wellness at all. It's just, it's a kind of a little bit random, but that's, you know, that's the way I roll sometimes. But there's all kinds of different types of culture that have evolved from somewhere attached to what would be wellness, health, and well-being, right? I mean, think about it. Diet, culture, there's um, the whole industry around creating all of those vitamins and all of those things they say you need, not to mention the different fitness materials, whether they're equipment or clothing, whatever it is. You know, the demonizing of different foods, like I said before, carbs, fats, eggs, sugar, etc., all of that stuff. Oh, the other thing that a lot people don't realize is that they have this belief that some brands are actually on their side because they've been um, greenwashing for so long. And the, the, I mean, the list goes on. These are these are really these are really small items until you start to look at how many there have been and whether or not a particular individual has bought into each one after another after another. So all these little types of culture, they kind of create a big giant bubble. Most of the time, if you think about it though, most of the time nobody's really thinking about what it is that is helping them. They'll go from one supplement to the next supplement thinking they need something or they need some kind of a gym membership or whatever. It's really interesting to me how these things become so normalized that people forget at some point there was an argument about them. I think that a lot of people are caught in this zone where where they're starting to believe that being well is some kind of a luxury where it really shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't even be associated with luxury light living, but for some reason there is this huge separation in that. But one thing I don't want to say is like, is a lot of people are saying that the wellness industry, that everything is toxic. It's not, it can't be, it's helped so many people. The problem is that it's become this kind of band-aid culture where people just kind of run in and grab their green juice and, and they're not actually looking at some of the other aspects that are providing them with why they would need that green juice, for example, whatever emotional situations going on. But see, for me, my background or history with this whole idea of wellness. Because, you know, for me, it didn't start with yoga. One thing I did notice is that, of course, in my circles, most of the people are started with yoga. Yoga is the thing that brought them in. When for me, this is not the case. Yoga and meditation was happening in front of me all of the time growing up. It was work for me that to ignore. But that's where I was, spending time with rejection. Anyhow, wellness. Back then, let's go, let's go back to high school. 
At that point, wellness meant thinness. I mean, after all, I was growing up in Hollywood, right? Lots of the acting community around me. It seemed to have kind of spread from there. And this was at the same time that the fat-free phase was beginning. So as I was developing, I became more and more concerned with the fat content of the canned soups and the so-called healthy bread I was eating than developing actual healthy eating habits and some kind of a relationship with food. You see, I had already spent a long portion of my childhood getting sick from different foods and not really anyone figuring out why that was happening. So somehow beginning to limit, even if it was based on a huge health food myth, helped me pretty much right away because I was limiting my foods. So this, you know, although highly uneducated, it allowed my body to make some kind of a shift. But it was also at this time that I realized how readily my body responded to healthy items but with little to no investigation as to why. Either way, I was careful as according to me. I guess now that I'm looking back, this isn't to say that I was healthy, right? Let's fast forward to beginning to be fascinated with herbal medicine because of my studies in anthropology and then getting a job at a place we'll call a wellness shop. We sold all the things and, and I was required to learn as much as I could. And we were encouraged to discuss all of these things in the store. So basically we had all the books, all the herbs, all the supplements and all of the spiritual stuff, every single thing. I was very lucky to have this access with a lot of very knowledgeable people around all of the time because this location was very unique. At the time, I didn't realize that there was much, you know, like wrong with this. It was something that fit my sensibility because I had just spent so many years studying different anthropology things and I was... I'm an artist, so being around all the different cultures all the time and all of the herbal medicine and everything, this was a big life change for me. With this much access, I was very, very lucky because I never would have been able to afford these things at that time. There's no way I would have been able to afford them at that time. And this is part of the reason why I was thinking about having this conversation with some people about the wellness myth, because somehow I made my way through, but I'm a very unique subject. You know, I did the same thing with yoga. I made my way through, but there aren't others that I know that did that, but I'm sure they exist. It's just that What I'm saying is, access is an issue. So at the time, I soaked it all up. I took in as much as I could. While I was there, though, 
it was starting to become the cleansing years. So from the fat-free years, you know, fast forward, I don't know how many years, 10 years or whatever, maybe less, maybe more. And then it turns into the cleansing years in the wellness community. So we went from the health food community to the wellness community and there's cleansing, right? So this consumed a lot of people and it continued for many, many years. It probably is still happening somewhere, shape or form. That was when I noticed how a lot of people were becoming dependent on these items or the ideas around them. Did I do anything about it? No. Did I notice that I was also becoming a little dependent on these things? No. This is Helpful Passages and Quotes, and today I'm reading from a book called Roar Like a Goddess, and it's by Acharya Shunya. And what I'm doing is reading just a little portion of her description of Shakti. Meet the supreme Hindu goddess Shakti. Creation, sustenance, and destruction are your powers, O eternal goddess. Maya 11.11 A unique, all-encompassing supreme goddess known as Shakti is described in a myriad of scriptures as the embodiment of ultimate power. The word Shakti is derived from the Sanskrit word Shakt, which means capable of, to be able, or able to perform. Shakti refers reflects the nature of cosmic feminine being, which is the creative, generative, dynamic power behind this universe. So that's on the bottom of page seven, just in case you do end up with this book. I've just started it. It's beautiful. I'm really happy to have it in this time. And I love this description of all-encompassing power, which is why I thought I'd share it with you today. All right, back to the show. It's always been so interesting to me how all of this seemed accessible, but wasn't actually accessible. Like I said, it was a unique case. So I wonder how you would even get this kind of wellness out into communities but then when i say that this completely disregards you know curanderas and other medicine women and men in communities and cultures that i don't really have any access to so even in discussing this i'm very limited in my understanding all i can give is what i've seen and experienced and sit here and wonder how you know you get the good stuff out to these other people not understanding what these other people actually have there's just this assumption that they don't have certain things and i you know this is why it's an open discussion i i'm very it's very limited there's a lot of nuance about that So, you know, when you're going through these cleansing things, of course I made mistakes, right? Somehow I figured them out. I would not really suggest anybody do that. This is why there are, you know, 
there are ways of working with certain people. I don't even know what the proper thing is. It's not a naturopath anymore. Is it an herbal doctor? I have no idea. That's another thing. Many people that say they're certified in this or not are not actually certified in the thing that they're certified in or they say that they are. And this becomes an issue. Some things don't even exist as far as a certification in them. And then they start to exist, but who's actually doing the teaching? Is the person, does the person even qualified to create whatever that is? It is a little bit messy because there's not much regulation. But at the same time, that type of non-regulation allows for access to things that we wouldn't normally have access to if that culture is allowing that in. But we're talking about our culture. The addiction to wellness versus being well is very visual it seems it also seems as though nobody's actually checking in with themselves and and um you know being healthy versus looking healthy but see from back then in the cleansing years to now november or i mean october 2022 the culture itself that has erupted from all of this has taken so many different turns linking wellness culture with this sort of gym like idealism i think created a lot of crossover community where everything seems to be very expensive and very out of reach to the very people that might actually benefit from it but then at the same time, they're creating these communities so that they have their exclusive elite communities. But it's based on this model that, you know, a lot of people would never even have access to the ideas of. And like I said, they are the ones that might actually need the help versus some people that are just going through the actions. I mean, over the years, I absolutely did get sucked in. From, from cleanses and all of that fun stuff, but I somehow never really got stuck on the part where it was supposed to, quote, fix all of my problems, end quote, where apparently many, many people did. I think this partially is the mixing of some spiritual concepts with that whole gym, band-aid, brand mentality. A lot of times the spiritual concepts, especially Eastern concepts, are minimized to a point where people don't actually understand the root cause of what they're talking about. And the more people teach those things without any kind of sustenance, the less and less the meaning will have for those statements. And, you know, like those Monday mantras and those cute little thingies that people say, you know, to get them through their day, all of that stuff. It's all fun and good, but at the same time, it is actually watering down a very beautiful and very helpful process of expanding your consciousness. Mixing in and mostly appropriated Eastern philosophy concepts created a lot of the space for misunderstanding, which is partially why the nuance around the health and wellness world is so difficult. Historically speaking, it's been a bit messy from the beginning, and this is not at the fault of the practitioner. 
I mean, unless they know they're selling something that is unsound, most people in these communities that are benefiting from these, I don't, are they practices, are they methods, whatever it is, most of these people don't realize that they're kind of involved in an issue. And that's why we need to slowly start to spread this idea of, you know, being a little bit more sound in what we say is wellness. I mean, how much subjective well-being is there in your day-to-day? -day? Are you being truthful with yourself or are you just kind of being, meh, I'm fine and considering that a well-being moment? I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but... So it's, you know, it's obvious oh, the whole wellness thing has a lot of myths around it, but it always has from the beginning. At the same time, it has helped a lot of people. The trick is, I think, what culture is growing from around it. So can it be turned around? Can there be something new um, based on these things? Yes, absolutely. The thing that's troubling, I think, is the driving of the whole capitalist sell all the supplements and all of that stuff. This is where a lot of the important things get watered down. So I would suggest that if you are experiencing some wellness things as a myth, that you take the time to break down why you think it's that and whether or not you can rearrange your thought process about some of those things. Because, you know, we all need to drink a lot of water, for example, but you don't want to drown yourself just because someone said you should drink more water based on what, you know, do they even know you? Are you listening to some, you know, online teacher that you'll never ever meet that will never ever see your body? This is another thing that's so strange is because over the pandemic, right? There's been a lot of this kind of health and wellness teaching and selling online, which has increased at a massive rate. And a lot of very, very wealthy people are now buying into the phenomenon, let's call it. So some people might think that that would be new for the wealthy. But see, there's this thing. For example, here's a good example. I actually heard Carrie Kelly talk about this on, um, on a podcast interview. And, she, and I thought it was a very good point. So first of all, Indra Devi, she was the one of the first people to teach yoga in the United States, but she is from Eastern Europe, right? It took her a very long time to talk her way into being taught by Krishnamacharya. They didn't want to accept her at first, but then, you know, she eventually made her way in and the teachings really worked for her. Eventually, they wanted to send her here to the U.S. I've read many times that she refused and tried not to do it, but eventually she gave in. So she was one of the first people teaching yoga asana, the postures, here in the U.S. But where was she teaching most of her classes? In Hollywood. So in Hollywood, the people that were getting the first teachings 
were actors and musicians. Is this the fault of Indra Devi? No. Is this the fault of Krishnamacharya? No. Is this the, it's nobody's fault. But this is where things spiraled out from. And there are other ways you can look at this. You can take it back to the way Vivekananda's speech was so focused on shift and change and, you know, the, the new beginnings of religions being able to communicate. And that's like, what is it, 1893 that he did that speech. But then that's like, was just closed off and, you know, nobody even, this was an important moment, but then there was no, nobody else was allowed to come here from India. There was a, a moratorium, and I don't think that's the right word, but there was a limit. And in that time frame was when Indra Devi came here. So that was also a thing. And then what about Krishnamacharya? Um, I, I heard that he was sponsored by the state to create a practice that would work here. So all of this has been churning and providing us with all of these different levels of shift and change. So we have a lot to take into consideration. That's why there's so much nuance about it. Is wellness a myth? No. Is the culture that comes from it creating myths that are harming people? Yes, I would say so. That would be my opinion. Can this be turned around? Absolutely. I believe in a natural healing and all of that, but I don't believe in it overtaking to the point where people are just creating more limitation for themselves or another type of dependency or something like that. I would love to know what you think about this. Please email me, hungryforapplespodcast at gmail.com. And I want to touch on this subject more. I want to do some interviews and stuff like that. So please let me know what kind of questions you have, anything you would like to me to research or suss out or whatever it is. I've been in this world for a while as far as the wellness and healing and health and yoga community. So this is a very close to my heart and I would love to expand on this. Thank you so much for listening. Bye now. Alrighty, that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe everywhere you find podcasts and visit Farron on her website, farron.me. You can also find us on social media, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. Mystic Farron, so it's mystic underscore Farron, and Hungry for Apples podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. Bye now.